It's assumed that we're supposed to know this. How are we supposed to know this if no one ever taught us? And the information that anybody around us had was also skewed. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. So today we're going to be talking with Jen Trepic, who is the host of a Salad with a Side of Fries podcast. And um, we're going to be talking about basically like the the food system, about <laughs> health. Um, she's a health coach. And I, w- I will just let you give whatever intro you think the audience um, needs to know about you. Yeah. So, hey, everybody, I'm Jen Trepic. I am a health coach. I got to this work, like so many people in this space, from my own saga. I feel like the word journey doesn't do it justice. It was a saga of, um, I grew up a dancer and I joke that I was like the skinny one in a family of dieters and then that went away. And I tried every diet under the sun, gained and lost, like that whole yo-yo thing. And... Even when I learned about the curriculum that I now teach, I was like, no, 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 that's okay. I've got my thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I had all the answers, and yet I was living life on like this roller coaster. Um, but I saw people who were following this program, and they were a couple of things I noticed. One was that they were keeping the weight off. The second thing was this woman was telling her story of. She had lost like 150 or 160 pounds. And I just sat there staring at her because I couldn't see where 10 pounds could have been on this woman's body. And she's telling me that the equivalent of another human was attached to her. You know what I mean? And I had a moment with myself that was like, they know something you don't know. And so I worked with a coach. I followed the program. It completely changed my life. Like the only thing that's allowed me to say I've kicked my food issues. And that set me on a path. I became an insatiable student because I was like, to me, it felt like the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us. And so I was like, well, why isn't this what we learned? So I started to dig into like, well, why did we learn? Like I learned the food pyramid when I was like, why (laughs) did that become the thing? You know, and then why isn't this the thing? And I was like everybody deserves this information and so I became a health coach on the side of my full-time job in late 2007 and at the time people were like I'm sorry you're a what right like that was like before side hustles or health coaches were a thing you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and fast forward so I built my business on the side for almost 12 years, I left my full-time job July of 2019, launched my podcast, Salad with a Side of Fries, in August of 2019. And now here we are about three years later, and like there is no turning back. <laughs> so I just listened to your uh, Fats, Plans, and Us episode, and there are some things that I uh, like basically a lot of my in this realm of stuff right around like diet related stuff and like you know health and like nutrition related stuff to me i feel like the most interesting question that i can sort of like grapple with in in that realm that i can think of is like how does one figure like 
it feels to me, and I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, is that nutrition science seems like one of those examples. I think it was on our episode with Ty of DeAndre where we're talking about like the spectrum of like legit science to like totally not legit yeah, science. Sure. And nutrition science seems like very much on the not legit side <laughs> because like you can't isolate variables really well, well right? It's so hard to do those types of I mean, studies, right? Yeah, but I would argue that what's even less legit is pharmaceutical science. But For I sure. have my yeah. own bias yeah. in, totally. y- you know, like that is a fully biased opinion. Right. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't. Do you know yeah. anything about pharmaceutical science? Because I don't know anything about that either. So I don't like. Well, you have to understand, I think fundamentally with pharmaceuticals, they are testing for something. They have a highly they are highly invested in the outcome. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And there is a lot of money, not just being highly invested in the outcome, but there's a lot of money in making sure it works and making sure there are people in place to approve your drug almost without statistically significant results. Because there's a lot where, and I don't want to like get into trouble because I couldn't name the exact studies. Right. So like full disclosure, I don't remember some of the stuff off the top of my head, but especially when it comes to statin drugs, the actual impact on cholesterol and cardiovascular events is little to none. Of of what? What on cholesterol? Of statin drugs. Oh, I don't know what those are. Drugs to lower cholesterol. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Like the actual impact is little to none. And yet it is one of the most prescribed meds. You know, I can't, I don't remember the statistic, but it is mind boggling how many people are on cholesterol lowering medication. Yeah. Yeah. And the side effect of that, this is sort of a rabbit hole, so stop me, but cholesterol is produced the the way those drugs work is that they stop the body from producing cholesterol but cholesterol is not the only thing produced in those pathways so by stopping the production of cholesterol we also stop the production of an enzyme called coq10 coenzyme q10 fuels the mitochondria right okay seventh grade science mm-hmm. mitochondria powerhouse of the cell right powerhouse of the so cell important. right <laughs> coq10 is the fuel for the mitochondria Mm. and in particular mitochondria of muscle cells. Yeah. What's our heart? (laughs) Very important muscle. (laughs) So the idea that we're going to give everybody something to help their cardiovascular health that is essentially stopping the production of the fuel for their muscle cells and the powerhouse, the fuel for the fuel of the muscle cells (laughs) doesn't make any sense. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet, <laughs> so that's the piece where like all science is, and this is a, a large statement, but I think all science requires a very discriminating assessment about who's paying for it and why and when and, you know, what's their objective. And then even to say, well, what was the question asked? Because especially in the last couple of years with COVID and everything, like there's been so much around trying to understand the science, right? By the way, that phrase in general drives me nuts (laughs) because science by definition is changing. There isn't something that's the science. I feel similar about the term the media, (laughs) 
Yeah, right. that too. There's so much. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. This all sounds yeah. very familiar. I mean, yeah, this sounds... We, I think we're really interested in like getting to the bottom of like what level of skepticism is appropriate when, you know, consuming anything that claims to be scientific or data-driven or whatever, especially as it relates to health, because a lot of it is just such horseshit, right? Like our... Our our healthcare system is so commodified and well, let's be real. We don't have a healthcare system. <laughs> let's just back up to that. Okay, we yeah. don't have a healthcare system. We have a system for somewhat managing disease. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, you go to the doctor, and again, I'm saying like the unpopular things, but like. Yeah, you go to the doctor and you're like, and you're like, this hurts, and they're like, okay, uh, let's do this test, and they're like, okay, you have this. Uh, I have like some meds that, you know, big pharma wants me to prescribe to you. <laughs> and also right. you, you have to pay thousands of dollars. I hope that's okay. Well, so, okay. So this is, it's funny. I was just at a, um, an online conference yesterday that was talking about this. So they're sort of healthcare 1.0, 2.0 and 3.0. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. What you're describing is 2.0. 1.0 was like, do you remember the TV show Heart of Dixie? Did you guys watch? I do this remember TV it, show? but I don't remember like or anything on it. I'm trying to think what other show. But there's the idea of like there's the doctor in the town, and he is like everybody's grandpa, <laughs> right? And he has this relationship with everybody in your family and every bit of your medical history. And he, you know, it's like he's. And I'm saying he because at the time, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. The picture of a doctor is that. And and at that time, too, in healthcare 1.0, doctors were all on like this pedestal. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't question them. They know the answers. They know everything better than you do about your body. Right. Right. Healthcare 2.0 was like the commoditization of healthcare. Like we took technology and it was like, how can we automate this? How can we take the human out of it? And that's exactly what you were saying, DeAndre, of like, you go in, they ask the questions, they're staring at a screen, they don't look at you. If they don't answer all the questions, then they can't get reimbursed (laughs) for the appointment. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Everything is about, did I check all the boxes? Did I cross the T's and dot the I's to make sure that I can get paid for this? And by the way, I can't give you this prescription because the dispensary won't allow it if I haven't done this test because it's going to look at, did all the boxes get checked? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's like 2.0 where you're like, wait, I am a human. Could we have a conversation? Like, hi, nice to meet you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Healthcare 3.0 is hopefully where we're headed, right? And maybe you guys have seen um, like the concierge medicine, mm-hmm. right? Or the membership medical model. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right? part of a boutique healthcare service. Okay, so this is- Is it like one medical? Yeah, I'm, I'm a part of one medical. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so th- theoretically, hopefully, <laughs> they're really part of 3.0. 3.0 is what we call the therapeutic alliance, where you as patient and doctor and hopefully also a health coach and a mental health professional and, you know, a, uh, you know, allopathic health professional. Exactly. Like, you know, a range of modalities 
come together and you as the patient participate and together we assess collectively what's happening, what do we think the cause is, Mm -hmm. what's the best course of treatment, what do you as patient feel comfortable with, and how do we work toward that and make sure you're getting what you need to actually find health. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And the compensation, the idea of like the one medical and all those like, you know, membership medical practices is the idea of taking compensation and putting it in uh, alignment with patient outcomes and serving the patient rather than the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. So let's cross our fingers for healthcare (laughs) 3.0. Come on, (laughs) like we got to do this. I enjoy my boutique healthcare service, I will say. I, it does feel it does feel like holistic, more more holistic than things I have engaged with in the past. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. And I, it's interesting because as we envision that future of healthcare, I feel as if like it's going to be really interesting to see how the machines interact with because like all the people you mentioned are all humans, but like inevitably a lot of there's going to be a lot of machines involved also. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are both who are very happy about that and a lot of people who are very unhappy about that, because on the one hand, like you have all kinds of like, you know, racism and sexism and blah, blah, blah in like, you know, our subjective, you know, healthcare providers. But at the same time, right, if those are the people who are, if like their data is feeding the algorithm, the algorithm is going to be just as like. Well, so I think that's what happened with 2.0. And I think 3.0 is about removing the machines. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Or like using them in a less uh, prescribey way, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, I can see there being like, like in my mind, I can't necessarily envision a future with no machines because it does seem like a lot of the like you know new like the AIs or whatever that are doing the diagnosing seem so much better and produce and seemingly are producing better health outcomes for people than like your doctor diagnosing something because we do have human error and we can't possibly know everything but also like inept like undoubtedly it seems like you can't have a care system that doesn't involve lots of human involvement that's what it seems yeah, like to me. Yeah, I mean, and I think well, the other side of that is, right, how do you define positive outcomes? Mm-hmm. And short-term or long-term? Right. Because especially when we go then talk about nutrition, right, there's a very big difference between short-term and long-term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what and how does, and each person really on their own defines working in a different way. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, that's something that I think about a lot because I work in death care and that's one space where the healthcare system, right, uh, is supposed to do something that, you know, right now there's like this huge question around whether or not the actual end goal of end of life care and geriatric care and hospice care is what we want it to be. Right. Right. Like, I don't know if you know Atul Gawande is being mortal, but like he that's a book that really like sort of push this conversation more into the mainstream, right? Like, do we want to just prolong our lives indefinitely forever, even if it means that, you know, those last five years might suck for you? Like, maybe not. (laughs) Definitely maybe not. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's the thing of like science has pushed us to a place where our life expectancy is dramatically different than, you know, even just a few generations ago. Right. But while we've extended years, have we extended the quality 
of those years, right? And that's where exactly what you're saying of, well, what does that look like? And it actually boils back down to what we're doing right now when we think it doesn't matter. Right. And I say to every teenager and 20 something out there, you think it doesn't matter. Everything you are doing right now is what is determining what happens to you in your old age. Yes. You know, we set ourselves (laughs) up for the outcomes that happen. And that's why I think disordered eating, right? Whether it's a full-blown eating disorder, but disordered eating in particular is acceptable because it is a very slow death. And and we don't have, we're, we're not built to understand long-termism, right? It's right. so difficult for us to, as like, you know, yeah. creatures that evolved, you know, to just like find food and eat it. Like, I feel like we just it's so hard for us to envision, OK, 20 years down the line, my body is not going to be able to like, you know, I'm not I'm not seeing any direct right. consequences right now, right in front of my face. Exactly. I mean, food's, right? exactly. food's just like so <laughs> it's like I feel like unregulated is the word that I'm thinking of, but it's not. Or, yes. you know, like I think it's, it, I think. The, well, it's, it's, kind it's of, regulated by the wrong thing. Yeah, it's kind of I think mm-hmm. that word is kind of getting at what I'm trying to express, which is that like, you know, like there are whole periods in life where, for example, like. In college, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to like be eating like shit. You're in college. Right. And (laughs) and or like, you know, you're supposed to like this, you know, this ramen stereotype or whatever. And me and my roommate would get frozen burritos from Foodland for for 25 cents a pop. And that would be what we ate. Right. And it's like. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you know these are the these right. are the times like when when we have these people in institutions like college or whatever like these are really great times to make sure that they can get the nutrition that they need in the right way and well let's back up to there's a, there's a really great times to teach people nutrition yeah. right mm-hmm. but what we are taught of nutrition is also funded by the same yeah. companies that are making your frozen <laughs> yeah, burritos. And it often has little, <laughs> right. little, little right. to nothing to do with, you know, whatever contemporary science is saying about biology. Yeah, your biology or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's so I was actually having this conversation the other day. It was like with what's happening with food and then what's happening with pharma. Right. And what happened and all things. Some, the person I was talking to was like, it's almost like they're all in cahoots. <laughs> and I said, it's funny because it seems that way. But I actually think it's because they're not. It's because there's actually no one coordinating that we've gotten to this point. Mm-hmm. Because no one's for, driving the bus. <laughs> no, because no one's looking at it from a higher level to connect the dots. Right. Mm -hmm. And listen, I used to work in hedge funds. I am not anti-capitalism. okay? but the way capitalism allows us to think or encourages us to think is to solve the next problem. Right. Continue to solve the next problem. So we have an issue with food that's solved by pharma. That creates another issue. So pharma is incentivized, right? Everything is incentivized to solve the next problem instead of going, wait, 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 back up. The thing that we did that created that food issue didn't solve the problem we were looking for it to solve. And now we need all these other extra things. What if we just roll that back? I think it's the lack of actual coordination and no one looking at it from the big picture and the incentives all following the next thing 
that have gotten us to where we are now in terms of what our food choices are. Jen, do you have an, ex- an example of like maybe that cycle playing out to make it less esoteric? Yeah. So how often do you hear about somebody who's celiac or gluten sensitivity now? A lot. All the time. All the time. Um, when I was a kid, at least, it was close to never. Um, wheat and grain. So there is this grain called what we now refer to as ancient wheat yeah. versus modern wheat. Modern wheat. Nobody else is going to describe it this way, but this is the way I think about it in my head. Modern wheat to me is the first genetically modified food. They basically bred in, you know, a laboratory, different kinds of wheat and created modern wheat that is much higher in gluten, has more types of gluten than ancient wheat. It was designed also, I can't remember the guy's name who figured, you know, who created it. He won like the Nobel Peace Prize or one of those for the idea was for it to solve world hunger. Fast forward today. Have we solved world hunger? No. And we have more instances of gluten sensitivity and gluten allergies than ever before. So pharma is coming out with all these options and the food industry is coming out with all these options that aren't necessarily healthful to the average person. Right. But we have all these things to deal with the gluten issue. But we still haven't solved world hunger. And now everybody just can't eat anything in this country. But we keep solving, right? We're always solving the next thing instead of going, wait a minute. Hold on. Can we just go back to growing the other wheat? Norman Borlaug is the guy, right? I mean, actually, I feel like the same, like very similar is the thing with like pesticides where it's like apparently like the actual insects that the pesticides are supposed to kill can reproduce a lot faster than we can like you know produce the pesticides and like they think that now like actually if if we because like you know the pesticides are also killing the birds that eat the bugs that have the pesticides the birds are much more effective at killing the bugs and so actually had we never used pesticides at all we would have far fewer bugs (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, (laughs) (laughs) right or like the other my other thing too is like So genetically modified food, sometimes it's modified to create a new food, right? Like they'll combine things to create something new. Sometimes it's modified so that the bugs won't eat it. Well, this is genius. The bugs recognize that that's not a tomato and don't eat it. But we go, looks like a tomato. I'm going to eat that. You know, like the bugs know enough not to eat the thing. We don't. Because it looks and smells like a tomato. So it must be a tomato. So it's like, there's a lot of things where like, if somebody was actually looking at the bigger picture and saying, oh, if long-term health and quality of life, right, is what we're looking for, are we actually Mm -hmm. getting there? And it's, you know, and, and that's a very complicated question that goes far beyond just right? nutrition. Yeah. Like, I mean, but. it's so hard to know necessarily at the time when you're doing the dwarf wheat thing and be like, oh, my God, this will feed everyone that like however many years down the line, all these people are going right. to have gluten sensitivities. Right. right. I mean, like, you know, you can't necessarily right. know. And, that like, and you know, you like, it. I'm sure the man thought right. that he was 
solving what was you know at the time maybe i don't even maybe it wasn't i don't know you know anything about like the fucking 50s or 60s or whenever this has been uh, <laughs> um you know maybe at the time they really thought the issue with world hunger was just like you know the ability to grow or or inability to grow a lot of food right and we know that now right but it's hilariously not the case right there's too much food and not enough distribution and not you right. know like we have really well i mean it also could be that that was the problem but also we can't distribute it like it could be there's like just lots of compounding problems right totally exactly and i also think that we have a lot of food like substances right we are a country of people right. who are overfed mm -hmm. and undernourished Right. Like a food desert used to be described as lack of access mm -hmm. to food. Food deserts are now described as a lack of access to fresh food because there yeah, is a McDonald's, there is a Wendy's, mm -hmm. there is a Starbucks. There is not right. a grocery store. Right. You know, like that's a different right. story. So so for you as someone who's like a health coach and like does this professionally, one thing that I really am curious about is like how you figure out knowing all the things that we know, knowing all the like sort of perverse incentives that are involved in the health industry and medical industry, blah, blah, blah. How do you figure out and how would you advise other people figure out who to trust? Great question. <laughs> I love this question. So, okay. I'm like, I got to adjust to like, Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> figure out where to start. <laughs> okay. Number one, we have all been taught to follow the rules and follow what we're told instead of following what our body is telling us. So fundamentally, listen and learn, relearn to pay attention right. to your own body. And that is a skill and a practice. And most of us have taught ourselves out of paying attention to our yeah. own body. I felt the need to like compulsively drink water. Just <laughs> because I, that's, that's definitely drink my water. thing that I can't do. Am I making you uncomfortable? <laughs> that's the one right. thing that I, I literally never get thirsty. And so <laughs> I feel like maybe that's kind of against what you were saying. But like, I, so I just never drink water and I'm just always dehydrated. <laughs> so funny well do you but maybe it's because i actually don't know how to, i don't know I, like <laughs> we've well thirst is a really yeah. challenging mm -hmm. feeling we can very easily confuse hunger and thirst and like especially for anybody i mean my specialty is weight management for anyone who has ever tried to manage their weight or lose weight or gain weight we pay attention to the rules and we tell our body, I don't hear you. Like we plug our ears and we start like being like a six-year-old child or a two-year-old child. And it's like, I, I know you're telling me you're hungry, but I can't hear That's you. Funny, I'm not like, listening. Maybe a six-year-old child is actually better doing that than we are <laughs> as adults who are constantly filtering. Right? They are. Right. We They're teach like, our kids. We teach them like, no, like, no so you eat at noon. A like, friend that's of mine. You, eat, you know, and this is what you eat. Correct. And this is what you eat. And you didn't yeah. finish everything on your plate. You have to finish everything on your plate, but I'm full. No, you're not. Finish what's on your plate. You just told me I'm not full. Okay. I guess that feeling, I'm supposed to ignore that feeling and finish the food on my plate. You know, I have a friend whose son, when he was, I don't know, maybe five or six, what, you know, 
old enough to be like sitting in the back seat in like a booster seat, not like, you know, whatever. So he, they were in the car and she's driving and he was like, mommy, I'm hungry. So she's like, hold on. And like any mom, right? She's got some sort of snack in her bag. So she reaches into her bag, pulls out a snack, opens the package and hands it to him behind her in the car. He has a couple, whatever it was, you know, and then hands it back to her and says, I'm done. And she's like, you're done. You barely had any. He's like, yeah, I'm done. And it just made her realize like he could monitor what he wanted and how much he needed. We're the ones who then say, you know, that wasn't enough, you know, and and I say all of this with the caveat of like, don't hate your parents, right? Like, well, because they don't know either. They were, were just, just doing, doing that the best by their we parents, can. right? Exactly. Exactly. Like nobody knew, right? Even when like I was having this conversation recently about like TV dinners, right? When those were like a big thing in the 50s, like nobody realized what was going to happen as this processed frozen food, you know, fast forward it. And like this thing that was a luxury then that was a sign of the times and things evolving where especially when women weren't at home all the time anymore, right? This thing that was landmark in terms of societal development and progress, you know, fast forward has a huge impact in order to make something last as long as it does, you know, whatever. But like everybody's only doing the best that they can or in fact, everybody's always doing the best they can in any given moment with the information that we had. And like, how can we expect anything else when right. we've never been right. taught if everyone is, is like, oh my God, these are so great TV dinners, then like, what well, that's what you're going to do, <laughs> right? I mean, right. that's true even right now with like the masking right. thing. Like, I feel like, you know, every, like no matter how right. much science we know or how much we read, it's always just going to be a function of what people around us are doing, right? Right. And then backing up to your question. Right. So I said, number one, pay attention to your body. And number two, it's ignore marketing, read for yourself. And I mean that not in terms of, you know, you don't have to go read every study, but ignore what's ever written on the front of a package and flip it over and learn to understand what the things are that are in it, what the numbers mean, and then what all the words mean when it lists the ingredients. Now, having said that, the way FDA re regulates food labels is a whole other can of worms <laughs> and a soapbox issue that we're, but that's a piece that we're not going to change. So that's where, as somebody who does this, I say, I got to pick my battles I can do what I can with the information that I have. And what I have is what is written here. Or if I'm willing, if my commitment level is in a place, I could choose to not eat things that have a label that requires right. being read. Which is much more difficult. Just like eat the tomatoes or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But, you know, I think fundamentally it's about picking our battles, right? When we are hearing the marketing, right? When we are hearing all of those things that sound really compelling. I think it goes back to saying, does this make sense with what I know of biology? Does this make sense with what I know for my own body? Right. Those are sort of two things. And then if this doesn't make sense 
how might this be true? Right? Like if I'm going to sort of take this like very inquisitive mind to understand the whole picture, right? I might not agree with what they're saying, but if I try to make that argument true, right, what are the things that they might be talking about? And then where do I fall in terms of those things, right? How do I think about those things? And I'll be more specific in a second. And then it's about looking at how are they making the argument? Some red flags to me when people are making these arguments. You're only going to hear this here. (laughs) Nobody else is telling you this. If you're the only person who knows it, why is that? And if it is, you know what I mean? Like if it is what you're saying it is, you wouldn't be the only person who knows it. Sorry. There would be more out there. I also think there's a greater burden for people who make these claims. Like to me, it is your job to prove you're right rather than just trying to say that everybody else is wrong. So show me where your theory or whatever plays out. Also, is everything they're telling you, all of the reasons, are they actually anecdotal? Or is it people's stories? Or are there proper clinical trials? Are there proper studies, to your point earlier, right? And sure, there are always Mm -hmm. confounding factors in a study. Like, nothing is perfect, but there's a very big difference between having some studies And then somebody going out, especially on Instagram or other places on the Internet and saying, well, this is what happened to me. You guys should all be doing this. This is the part where I find it difficult. Like like you said at the beginning. Right. It's hard for us to know how to listen to our bodies. Right. And so I feel like especially for some of like the fad diets that have come up in the last however many years, like the whole 30 stuff or the keto stuff. Right. Like I know so many people who are like anecdotally saying, look, I did this thing and it did make me feel better. Right. And in my opinion, even if it's like a hundred percent a placebo effect and you were just expecting to feel better and therefore you did feel better, Mm -hmm. like that's still probably something that might be worth paying for if the whole goal is to feel better. And then like you did feel better. But I'm really curious as to what your your thoughts are on that. Right. Yeah. So So this is where you have to then also go back to what defines Mm -hmm. working and what and where do we go short term Mm -hmm. versus long term. Right. Any diet out there will work, will make the scale go down in the short term. The questions I ask with anything related to those kinds of categories, right? is how long-term is it, how sustainable is it, right? Mm -hmm. And how healthful is it, Mm -hmm. right? Long-term, keto is detrimental to your organs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, literally, when people describe keto to me, they're like, oh, it's making your body think it's starving. And then, like, I'm just like... Right, I mean, like, the biggest biggest red flag to me was like... Was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, when you first get on keto, you're just going to get a little sick for a couple days. And I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, excuse me, what the fuck? <laughs> so here's, okay. And, and like, they're right? like, yeah, but that's the point. Your body thinks it's dying, but you're not dying. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, good. Can we just say fundamentally nutrition is supposed to make you properly function, not feel like you're dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I, when I am not a fan of running, running makes me feel like I am yes, going to die. Same. You know what I don't do? I don't <laughs> run. I don't think that anybody should intentionally put that. Call me crazy. I don't think anybody should put themselves in a situation intentionally where their body feels like it's going to yeah. die. Uh, call me. I'm, I'm the crazy right. one though. <laughs> right. But so, so how long-term and how healthful, right? So long-term keto is not healthful to our internal organs. And second of all, how long-term in terms of habits, and I'm only using keto because that was the exact, right. right? What you yeah, just said, yeah, but right. keto is absolutely unforgiving. Like I make the joke that you breathe wrong and you knock yourself out of ketosis. Mm-hmm. So it is not long-term. Right. Right. If what you have, whatever plan you have, includes or requires a cheat day or an off meal that is by definition not sustainable yeah (laughs) right like if it's on or off it is not forever right Mm -hmm. and like i'm being kind of a jerk about it but like but the point being like that's where we go to think with anything in that category how long term how healthful Mm-hmm. And what, you know, keto is very similar to Atkins, which we had, you know, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, the other side of it, like a big one right now is intermittent yeah. fasting. Right. IMF. Okay. Um, I like it better for men than for women. Why? There is zero long-term research. <laughs> and most of the research that does exist is all on men, not on uh, women. Got it. Mm-hmm. And then if you consider the fact that 88% of the U.S. population is not metabolically healthy, and then we tell them that all the nutrition you're supposed to get is supposed to happen in eight hours, when in 24 we couldn't get it. (laughs) How are we supposed to give our body everything that it needs in six or four hours? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say... The kind of fasting that I'm a really big fan of. Dinner to breakfast, which includes the time you sleep. And if you want to go back to saying, oh, what is human biology? Human biology says when it is dark, we rest. When it is light, we eat, we move, we do our things. Yeah. So you could potentially now time zones and all those kinds of things in our human modern life you know, screws that up, but you could theoretically start to match your food consumption to daylight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, more realistic to me and what I generally recommend to people is that we want to start food. We need something in our system within an hour of waking up. We want to finish food about two hours before bed. And your fasting time is while you sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, from two hours before bed and your sleep time. Right. right. So so here's my follow-up question. Because, like, you know, okay, so one, is it sustainable? Two, is it healthful, right? Yeah. And that's the part where I get hung up on because I don't know that any of us feel, even, like, me, who I think is, like, pretty, like, you know, on maximally educated in the grand scheme of, like, at yeah. least totally. American society. Like, I don't feel equipped to understand how to figure out because like you know obviously i mean same thing is true for like the political system like no one has time to like truly understand the ins and outs right. of a lot of these things and go read the white papers and blah 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 and then once you do like for example i'm 
trying to, I'm like trying to sort of slowly transition through vegetarianism into being vegan. But I okay. feel as if it's just literally like, mo- like, like same with keto, most of the, or um, the intermittent fasting like studies, I feel like basically for almost all of the studies, right? It's mostly men who are being studied, right? Like there, there's so many issues, well, right? With so many all, of these studies, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, the whole 2000 calorie diet is off of men, all, right? Things like that, yeah, right? All of medicine is based on the male body. <laughs> right. 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 Every dosage for anything is based on the male body. Right. Um, You know, and if we want to go back... Circling back to the FDA, you know, you just mentioned the 2000 calorie diet, right? So that it's like your recommended daily intake, the RDI, mm-hmm. is a percentage based on that 2000 calorie yeah. diet, right? Let's also fundamentally understand that RDI, your recommended daily intake, was designed during a war <laughs> to ensure that the soldiers did not deteriorate into rickets and scurvy when we couldn't necessarily get them food. Mm. So it is not that recommended daily intake percentage is not about health. It is not about vitality. It is about not deteriorating to death. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. It goes to your point of saying we have to then enlist somebody who does know some of those things. And now this sounds like super self-serving and that's not my point. But like, even if we don't necessarily have weight to lose or a specific end game in mind, but we want to be able to understand what's out there and make the best decisions for ourselves, it makes the argument for hiring somebody to help you figure that out for you. Mm -hmm. It's assumed that we're supposed to know this. How are we supposed to know this if no one ever taught us? And the information that anybody around us had was also skewed. Mm -hmm. So like, I think fundamentally, we all have to sort of let ourselves off the hook and then say, okay, if this is a priority for me in my life, I'm going to invest for a finite period of time to ensure that I can then learn what I need to learn to be able to evaluate the next things that come at Mm -hmm. me. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Because otherwise you're going to have whiplash because one day the news is telling us broccoli is going to cure everything. And the next day broccoli causes cancer. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so it's like, well, are both of those things true? And how are both of those things true? Mm -hmm. And what about the broccoli? Right. So like it makes the argument for saying for the things that are important to you. Enlist the help and support of somebody who is invested in doing all the research that you're not invested in doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you if know, you don't have the money to do that? I don't know that it necessarily takes a ton of money. Okay. And I think that's it. And it doesn't even have to be like nutrition is just one example. But I think right. anything in life, like there's a little bit of, I don't know if you guys have heard of the book, like the book, The Death of Expertise. No. Like as a society, we have gotten away from liking anybody who's an expert in things. Like Mm -hmm. we all think we're the expert in everything and like we don't want to hear somebody else tell us, Mm -hmm. you know, that they know something or whatever. Um, Or we don't like people telling us what to do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Um, But there's also a self-awareness piece to say this is important to me, but I'm not willing to do the hard part Mm -hmm. 
So am I willing to figure out, you know, how to pay for something, right? And like, I have a membership program that's $10 a month, mm-hmm. right? Like, it doesn't have to be millions of dollars to make your health a priority. Mm-hmm. But the wellness industry, because as much as we have the food industry, right, and the pharmaceutical industry, we now have a wellness industry. Mm-hmm. Very much so. That Right. And it's a very uh, it really categorizes in a luxury industry, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's also a misnomer. But it's also then put us in a place of thinking that these things are inaccessible. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think that there are a lot of resources like you? Like, do you think that you are yeah. common? Someone like you. I think it's more common than we realize when we start to look mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, there are people with varying degrees of experience, mm-hmm. right? And therefore have varying degrees of pricing structure. Mm-hmm. There are people all over this country who maybe have the same experience, but because of where they live, the price that they, you know, charge is different. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of resources you know, through podcasts and um, books and things like that. But it's sort of this give or take, right? In anything in our lives, especially for me, like over the years, there have been times where I have more money and times when I have more time. Mm -hmm. And so there's always that trade-off between time and money with any priority. So for example, I, it is a priority to me to have a clean apartment, I am a perfectionist and I am bad at cleaning my apartment. So I pay somebody to do that. There were times when I had more time than money and I did it even though I wasn't great Mm -hmm. at it. (laughs) Right. So it's sort of those trade-offs to say, is this something, what am I willing to invest in this? Am I willing to invest my time or my money? Neither or both. Just a, a quick, a quick introduction. The feeling that I got when I first paid someone to clean my space for me, was it was like fucking heroin it was euphoric <laughs> you know and it wasn't like and it wasn't like a, yeah. i'm so glad this person can do my bidding it was like a, it was like a realization like wait it's okay for me to spend my resources on someone because you know there's so much shame and like you're very much like i feel like it's shameful to not clean your clean your shit you know and I think it's also shameful to say, I don't know how to feed myself. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This, and these, these things are actually more adjacent than I thought they would be, but they are. Um, <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like, it was just like, oh, it was euphoric to like, you know, oh yes, please take this money and clean my space. And then when I get home, my space is clean and I feel so great. Um, and that's right. okay. You know, it's okay to do that. And speaking of that, right. And, and taking it, even into this, like if you share with someone or you're even talking to somebody who might be, you know, a health coach or somebody who you might be turning to for information and they're judging for your decisions, that is a giant red flag. What do you mean? What do you mean you say judging for your decisions? Like if someone's judging you for paying for a housekeeper. Right. If you're talking to somebody to get some support or information around your food choices and they're judging the food choices that you've been making up till now. That to me is a red flag. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I think there are more people out there like me to answer your question. I think there's more people like they're out me than we realize. Like they're out there like me. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> out there like me. English. I swear I know how to speak English sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, then we realize, but it's about also having conversations with them and asking them the exact same questions and approaching that the exact same way that we approach the people that we're seeing on social media to say, are you saying this is the only place you're going to hear this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Is everything based on anecdotes yeah. mm-hmm. is, you know, is it, you know, does this make sense for you and what you've experienced in your own life? Mm-hmm. You know, asking all those same kinds of questions is fitting across the board. Right. Right. Yeah. And to, like. For your thing around expertise, I feel like the reason why so many people have that skepticism yeah. is because of the inherent like nature of capitalism. Bias. Basically. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> it, They're like, if you have money to be made off of this, then like, you know, I inherently have some skepticism off the bat. Right. 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 And, like that, and because that of, is like the root of some of the problems behind all of these, like, you know, issues with the studies and the food systems and blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm-hmm. And like. Uh, That is where sort of there's two sides to everything. Right. And it's striking that balance. And, you know, like the part where I do think I'm different is that my objective is for my clients to not need me. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if you need me to keep going, we did something wrong. That is not solving, (laughs) right, the relationship with the food. Mm -hmm. And helping you go live the rest of your life, right? That's my goal. And I think I am different than a lot of people in that way. Sure. But but nevertheless, on a large scale, right? Right, like, right. But then nevertheless, the case, right? I do work with products and supplements in my practice that mm-hmm. even when someone isn't necessarily working with me for coaching, they might still be purchasing those things. Mm-hmm. So it is sort of, you know, I don't think there's any perfect system. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is I work with those products in my practice because they're what I take myself. They're what I would recommend. And it is a better quality product than what you would get from GNC taking advice from the guy, the kid with an after-school job at the health food store. (laughs) Right. So like, there's a reason why I bring those to my clients. And when I work with doctors, they will sometimes say, oh, it is unethical for me to have something in my practice, to which sometimes I want to say to them, doctor, I think it's unethical for you to send them out into the world and make uneducated decisions in a health mm-hmm. food store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if your omega-3 is made from tuna and salmon, you are likely to end up with some other things in there that you don't want. If your omega thief omega-3 freezes in the freezer it likely has a bunch of water in it and less of the essential fatty acids that we're looking for you don't actually need three sixes and nines that doesn't solve the problem what you need are threes but we live in a world that has taught us more is more so we go to the local health food store and we're sent there to you know take some fish oil and we buy the cheapest thing or we buy the thing that we think has the best thing Mm mm-hmm You know, it's kind of why I have a love hate with Dr. Oz. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because I think he gives people just enough information to be dangerous and not enough to choose something of quality in yeah. the store. Mm-hmm. So sorry, that was a really long answer to say, mm-hmm. I think, you know, business still requires compensation Mm-hmm. But I think there's a difference. Healthcare 3.0, right, is about compensating for positive outcomes and helping people get quality versus compensation for checking the boxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's still worth like acknowledging that, you know, what we're talking about is still difficult, right? It's still difficult. It's yes. very difficult to, especially if you're not someone that you know is like very savvy as it relates to like nutrition facts or biology or whatever it might be to you know like as you know as we've as we've kind of mentioned multiple times in this discussion there's a lot of people fucking selling snake oil out there and i think that it's really easy you know it's really it's really hard for someone even someone that's very educated to figure out like what what the fuck yeah i mean i would say though too it's not just you know, are you savvy or not? Or are you educated or not? Right. There are very good reasons for like marginalized populations to distrust scientists and doctors. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Like it's not even just like, oh, like, have you done the work? Is it too hard? Like, it's also like it's not like those people are simply not doing the work. Right. 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 So many of those people the, it have systemic. absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's the part where like. Again, I feel like for everybody, like, take yourself off the hook a minute. You know, there's nothing in this conversation to say, like, please do not leave this conversation beating yourself up. If anything, I think it's like, please leave this conversation realizing that, like, how could we expect anything else? Mm -hmm. And you are where you are. And it's about starting from wherever you are and deciding if this is something that you want to put time, energy or money into. And it might not be. Mm -hmm. And that's okay too, because it's your body. And, you and like, you know, maximizing for like whatever health goal you want to achieve. Right. Exactly. It's like, yeah, like, I mean, we I think we've like we haven't talked a lot about like our country's obsession with weight loss. And I think, um, you know, like like all the fucking like keto and like sh- it's like it's all for like short term weight loss. Right. Which is what kind of gem what you're talking yep. about. Um, and like maybe one of the least useful health outcomes out there. <laughs> Right. Right. So. Right. Because also our doctors have been taught to measure our weight and the health of our weight by BMI. Well, body mass index is a function of height and weight. And a really good calculator will take your age into account. (laughs) Well, so, okay. There's so many other things about people. Right. And even if not just about people, like, can we, first of all, learn to identify ourselves as something other than a function of our body? Number one. And then number two, even if we're going to say to our doctor, okay, you're looking at BMI. This is a flawed barometer because what makes up that total weight includes our muscle and our organs and our bones and our skin and fluids and all of these other things. So what actually determines health outcomes is the percentage of our body that's made up of fat versus the total number on the scale. 
But BMI doesn't take that into account. And I did a whole episode on this and I started digging into like, why is BMI used? Like, how did this even start? Mm -hmm. So the guy who invented it, it was used as a way or designed to study populations over time. So to look at like this continent versus that continent over a decade or a century, it was never designed to be used to look at individuals. And then it was adopted by the medical system to make it easier for our doctors to talk to their patients about their weight. And I'm like, I just can't even believe that instead of teaching (laughs) nutrition and teaching healthcare providers how to have a conversation. We did this instead. We did this. (laughs) So bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. This worked. You know, talk about somebody looking at the overarching system being like, you know, what's not working. Let's roll that back. Right. Like, you know, so by the way, anytime your doctor is measuring your weight, ask them to measure your body fat percentage. How do they do that? There are scales that can do it. I mean, there's a handful of different measurements. Like your gym likely has a scale that measures body fat percentage. There's also the calipers, you know, the things where you can like pinch your side. Yeah. Um, those are theoretically more accurate in, but there's more room for human error. Mm -hmm. So by and large, a very cost effective way is a scale. And with the scale, you want to look at it more as, you know, what happens over time, right? Relative rather than an absolute number, Mm -hmm. because unless you're doing one of those tests where it's like they dunk you in a tank of water and measure everything in your body, um, but like, I think the more of us who start asking our doctors to measure this, or if you have a scale at home and you know what your body fat percentage is, and then you go to the doctor's office, ask them to document it in your chart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause I think the more we ask for it, the more it creates the conversation for them. Like how great would it be for them to all go to show up at com- some convention and be like, you know what all my patients are asking me, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe power to the people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, DeAndre, when you run for office, do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all added to the list. It's a long list though. There's a lot yeah. of shit. Well, so Jen, I'm so outside of like the individual level, like on the yeah. health level or like the systems level, right. And like the food systems level, et cetera. Um, I'm curious since you've thought a lot about all of these systems Like if you had a magic wand or if you were sort of like able to be the person who's like coordinating all these things, is there like one thing that you like one sort of like concrete thing where there's like a policy or something like a technology solution or something that you would um, sort of implement to try to address some of the issues that you've seen? What do you think it would be? Oh, my God. Uh, it doesn't have to be like the biggest, best one, but like, you know, no, I think yeah. it's hard for me to pick one. Right, right. Right. Like I could say like a couple things like sure. one, I want to figure out number one, how do you take the massive amount of food waste in one place and get it to a place that has no food? Right. And let's actually solve world hunger. Right. right. So like, but distribution, not just domestically, but like if we look at the planet, Mm-hmm. Where are people starving when we are throwing out right. so much right. food? Right. You know, that also, by the way, would have a massive impact on global warming. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so like that would be one thing as far as like food waste. Yeah. And then when it comes to the quality of our food, I I mean, it is such a toss up, but I think I like fundamentally I would want to get rid of and this might be people are going to think like this is sort of counter to the idea of being able to get food everywhere, but like get rid of the genetically modified, go back to ancient grain, like eliminate most of the processed food, eliminate most of the sugar in things mm-hmm. and sort of redesign our food supply to be actual food instead of food like substances. Mm. And the snowball effect of that mm-hmm. becomes massive impact in global health. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you one quick follow up to that? Um, so you mentioned like the stuff about the wheat at the very beginning. Um, yeah. I don't think I've ever met someone before you who had any sort of like real understanding or like, you know, um, like informed opinion about like GMOs that I've ever like had the conversation with. And so can you just tell because I that's that's one of the issues that I feel like I have no sort of ability to. Uh, you know, comprehend what what might be good about it or what might be wrong about it, whatever, right? Yeah. So I've written articles about it and I did a podcast episode about it. So like you can certainly dig in more than what, and I'm saying that to everybody because I don't want what's about to come out of my mouth to think that that is the be all end all of what there is. Yeah. And even having said that, I don't think that the article I wrote or the episode I did is the be all end all either. Mm -hmm. Right. They're just thoughts that you like Um, more time to put together with. Yeah. And like, there are people who are far smarter than I am who are still trying to figure some of this stuff out. Right. Right. Here's my understanding is that genetically, so genetic GMO stands for genetically modified organism. Mm -hmm. So if you back up, it's essentially like they, and we think about it like, you know, how you have like a uh, thing about dogs, right? You have a golden doodle. That is a cross between a golden retriever and a poodle. That's essentially what they're doing with seeds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're sort of manipulating the breeding of seeds, the making of seeds that are then going to grow whatever plant. Right. And like optimizing some, for traits of some kind. Right. Right. So sometimes a genetically modified food is optimized to make it so that you don't have to use as many pesticides. Because if the bugs don't eat it, we don't have to spray stuff on it for the, to get the bugs off of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they are modified to be able to grow with less nutrients in the soil or less water so that a farmer can still make a living in a drought. Because if this thing will grow with less water than it once needed... You know, like I'm trying to think of like tangible examples, right? Right, right. Um, Sometimes they're modified, you know, or bred together to create a new food. Like, have you ever heard of a grapple? Right? It's a cross between a grape and an apple. So it looks like an apple. It's kind of smaller. It looks like an apple, but it tastes sort of like a grape. Mm -hmm. So there are sometimes like 
modified foods to create a new thing. Mm-hmm. They're not all inherently bad, but anytime I think we're messing with nature, I think there are always unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And that's the part where I think for the mass use of GMOs is still long term. We still don't know. Mm-hmm. But I and nobody else made this connection. Like I happen to be having a conversation with somebody who is a scientist and she and I were talking about the wheat thing. And I said, this strikes me as very similar to what is happening with GMOs. And she was like, oh, like, and again, that's sort of what I do. Like when I'm learning these things, I'm trying to like connect the dots in my head. Like, how can I try to make this make sense? Right. And so that's how it just happened to strike me that those things feel very similar. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is that the food that grows looks like the thing that we think it is. But if we look at what's inside it, you know, what nutrient it's giving us, it's not really the same. So like an apple today doesn't have the same nutrition that an apple our grandparents ate had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a function of not just GMOs. Like, to be clear, that's a function of our soil and our farming practices and that we ship foods, you know, we pick things before they're ripe and then we ship them so that it's pretty when it's in your grocery store. Because mm-hmm. if we waited till it was ripe to pick it, by the time it, you know, went on a truck to get to your grocery store, it would probably look gross and you wouldn't buy it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of times the GMO foods are much bigger than the organic, right? They're made to grow bigger in less Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. How often are foods sold and priced by weight? Mm -hmm. Right? It's bigger. Mm -hmm. We also live in a world where bigger is better. Mm -hmm. So it's bigger. Mm -hmm. And they're made to not go bad. So it lasts longer. Right. You know, like if you have a carrot or a tomato in your house that has been there for longer than a week and it's still perfect, mm-hmm. something's not quite right. Right. I mean, the fact that you even have a tomato in your house at like in January or something, right? Well, like that you don't too. even eat right. seasonally, right? Right. <laughs> well, and that's like our food supply is being shipped from wherever it grows. Right. right. You know, so again, like if you eat local and eat seasonal, mm-hmm. it can help us up the nutrient quotient. Mm-hmm. But I also appreciate that like not everybody has access to a farmer's market and we need right. to pick our battles. And I would rather, you know, I think that's a big thing with all of this is like pick your battles. What's reasonable for you based on your resources of time, effort, energy, money, you know, all of those kinds of things. Access determines a lot of what the options are. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes are we better off eating the GMO tomato than a Snickers? Yeah, probably. Right. But the point it sounds like with the GMOs is that like so so we do we don't do we have like documented like examples of knowing that like the the genetic modification that we did had some sort of like adverse effect or is it mostly just that we don't too know too soon okay i think it's that we yeah. don't know okay. there might be something out there i haven't read it but like yeah again if i just look at my common sense to say if we made sure that the bugs won't eat it 
you know, and a little ant can figure out that this isn't edible. I don't know why we think it's edible for us. Well, it sounds like the like. But we don't really know. Maybe there there could be a way in which like the the GMOs could be like useful. But the things we're optimizing for when we do the genetic modification is not things like making it more nutritious. It's things like making it more viable. Right. Those don't necessarily have anything to do with nutrition, you know, or could, in fact, make it less nutritious or increasing resilience. I think I think there's like merit in doing those things, right? right? Like in increasing yield Mm -hmm. and resilience or whatever. And like increasing yield, even if we look at these to increase yield on the same plot of land. Yeah. We're essentially dividing. So nutrients come from the soil. The nutrients in the soil are dispersed between all of the plants growing on it. So when Mm -hmm. we increase the yield, but we have the same nutrients in the soil, we're dividing those nutrients between more foods, which is part of what's contributed to the decline in nutrient density of even fruits and vegetables in the last Mm -hmm. few Mm -hmm. years. Yeah. And few, I mean, like a couple decades. You know, and and like the food industry is evolving so much faster than biology. Yeah. Right. Like when we think of like species, what we've done in in the span of humans. Right. Like we have no idea. <laughs> like what we, we're doing. We just don't know. I mean, yeah. the idea that our body is going to have evolved in the last 20 years from what we're doing, I think is not what's actually true. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then like I, I heard something recently that the average person today or suppose the average woman today ingests more toxins in 30 days than our grandparents did in a lifetime. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) (laughs) It just goes to show, like, we don't have a clue of what's going to happen. And, like, don't go around living in fear, please. But, like, it's just a point of, like, pick your battles, Mm -hmm. right? Figure out what you can reasonably do and take those steps. And when you're ready for the next, take the next. Uh, Jen, thanks so much for sitting down with us and like, thank you for having chatting big brain with us about all the fucked up systems, which is like, you know, a a lot of our episodes are like just being like, man, everything is really like fucked up incentive wise. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But like, first of all, I appreciate that you guys have these conversations and that we're engaging in these conversations because I think that's where things start to change. And so thank you for having me for having these conversations and um i hope we weren't too doomsday yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think that it's like this isn't even a climate change episode i know (laughs) you know yeah we've talked about more doomsday things housing yeah housing (laughs) climate whatever the list goes on but we like to end happy um so what is uh, something you've done in like, let's just say in 2022 that has brought you a lot of joy? Um, I'm going to go with the last 24 hours. <laughs> so <laughs> last night <laughs> I FaceTimed with my nephew who 
is going to be eight in the That's fall. Cute. And I was literally watching. He had just gotten home from baseball. He hit a cup, a double and a, and a couple singles. And he was telling me all about the game. And I was watching him eat everything in their house, like just sitting on FaceTime. And it is the best thing in the world to me. That's a great answer. That's a very wholesome answer. Yeah. It's an extremely wholesome answer. I love that. <laughs> okay. Um, this is your time. Please plug what you want to plug. Oh, well, thank you. So the podcast, Salad with a Side of Fries. Please listen. And uh, all my socials at Jen Trepic, J-E-N-N-T-R-E-P-E-C-K. This is a time when everybody tries to sell something. I don't want to sell you anything. My request would be send me a message. What resonated with you? What got you thinking? What questions do you have? Like more than anything, I want to hear from you. And as always, you can find us at I'm the villain pod. That's our Gmail. It's our Instagram and that's our Twitter. Otherwise, bye everyone. <laughs>